The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Mari Magaloni Ramos. I am the chair of the 8th Principal Task Force, and I am so happy to be with you today. As you settle into this morning's worship on your couch or at your kitchen table, I invite you to download the order of service. It's in the description under the video, and it's in the chat, and it's emailed every Friday to those of you who subscribe to the newsletter. I want to begin by acknowledging those people whose labor and love make this service possible. Our AV and sound expert, Jonathan Silk, Shuli Ong and Eric Shackelford on our cameras, Joe Chapeau, who manages our chat, Alex Dar and Les James, who will be hosting our virtual coffee hour after the service, Leland Jones and Daniel Bernard for opening up the building today, and Athena Papadakos for the beautiful flowers. We're grateful to our choir director, Mark Sumner, organist, Reiko Oda Lane, and our quartet, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Maria Rudnitsky, Ben Rudiak Gould, and Asher Davison, who bring together this morning's music. And of course, a special Thanks to our senior minister, Vanessa Southern, and our special guest, Paula Cole-Jones, who will be in conversation this morning about the eighth principle and what it means for our congregation. And I want to take this moment in gratitude for all of you who, while not here in body, are essential in knitting together the fabric of this community. So, as we have each Sunday since last March, we light our blue candle, that with the kindling of the flame, we bring your presence and your spirit into the room. May we enter into worship together now singing an opening hymn, number 34, Though I May Speak with Bravest Fire.
I invite you to join me in saying together our unison chalice lighting. We light this candle for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to worship. I hope you've found a way or will find a way to download the order of service so that you can follow along in today's worship, but also so that you can find there all the ways in which you can connect to this community and its life. Please feel invited to join in on anything and everything that you feel interested in or curious about. But I did want to highlight a few things that are coming up, some this very morning. First, an invitation to join our coffee hour, which you can connect to through the Zoom link. It's another chance to get to meet a few people, maybe talk about the service, and in particular, this morning when you join, if you would like to be in a breakout room with folks discussing the eighth principle, just let the hosts at coffee hour know that, and they'll put you in with a group of people who also want to do that deepening and conversation around the topic. So please join our coffee hour, but please also, if you're a member of the congregation, consider at 12.30 joining the discussion of our budget, our proposed budget for the year. That will happen at 12.30. There's a Zoom link for that. It's a chance to find out about the assumptions in the budget, to ask questions about the financial decisions we make together democratically in this community, to ask any questions that you have. So please join us then. And if we are done with the budget discussion quickly this morning at one o'clock, you can join the forum's hosting of David Bollier and his conversation about echo stewardship, social equity, and the commons. Mr. Bollier will address such questions as what is the modern concept of the commons and why is there such interest in it today? And how might that paradigm work in a post-capitalist world as an alternative to present ones, especially here in the United States? Join that conversation at one if you can. And let me hold up two additional invitations to you. One is that we will be having our ministers' book group meetings on Wednesday, May 26th in the evening or Thursday, May 27th at noon. And the book we're discussing this month is Breathe, A Letter to My Sons by Imani Perry. It is the book that the denomination asks us all to read this year, and this is our chance to do it together. It is not too long, so you could still get it read by the 26th or 27th. And just let us know that you're coming by registering. There's a link in your order of service. Finally, if you are relatively new to this community and want to find out more about us or about Unitarian Universalism, I would invite you to join the new UU class, the new Unitarian Universalist class that will meet on June 1st and 8th in the evening. Registration is open. Just look for the link and come join us. Bring your questions, bring your thoughts, bring your wonderings. There are many other opportunities that I hope you will look at and consider to get connected, to deepen the conversations of meaning in your life and our collective life. But those are the ones I'll hold up this morning. And now I want to invite us in the spirit of deepening into worship to sing together our meditation on breathing, the words, or in your order of service, if you're new and haven't seen them before, they're simple. 
just listen and then lose yourself as we sing it through together. Thank you. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, And now, if you will, please join me in saying our covenant, the promises that we make to one another in this congregation. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. As you may know, our congregation, along with many other congregations around the country right now, is in the process of learning about the proposed eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism. It would be added to the existing seven principles of our tradition. The eighth principle is stated as follows. 
We affirm and promote journeying toward spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Members will vote on this proposed inclusion in our annual meeting on June 6th. But in the meantime, the Eighth Principal Task Force has been working hard to make sure that we are informed not just about the history and the purpose of the principle, but about what it means to members of this community. We have been and will be hearing from members representing some of the diversity of this congregation about what the Eighth Principle means to them. Today, Mari Magaloni Ramos offers the fourth in our series of Eighth Principle testimonials. I'm first-generation Mexican-American, and I've been a UU for about 20 years and a member of this church since 2016. The first time I entered this church was on opening Sunday in September of 2015 at the beginning of the scholastic year. I had just moved to San Francisco after a divorce, and I'd only ever been a member of a tiny congregation in Los Gatos. I had signed my 13-year-old son Max up for religious education classes and was told to meet in the lobby with the other families so that we could walk into the sanctuary together. As the families gathered in the hallway, I was excited to see so many kids because there weren't many in our other congregation. The children were given balloons as we waited and chatted. After a while, we heard music and we were led through the doors into the sanctuary. I'm not sure I can accurately describe the surprise when Max and I entered for the very first time. We'd never seen the sanctuary before. I hadn't even looked it up online. We were blown away. It was huge compared to our little church with the vaulted ceilings and the choir and the pipe organ and the stained glass windows and the enormous congregation singing. As we made our way down the red carpet in the hubbub of kids and balloons, my son looked at me and said, Mom, I feel like a king. We found a spot in the front pews with the rest of the families. And then the service started. And the congregation sang the doxology in Spanish. De todos bajo el gran sol surja esperanza, fe, amor, verdad y belleza cantado de cada tierra cada voz Mom, I feel like a king. The principles of Unitarian Universalism call us into covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person they promote justice, equity, compassion, the democratic process, peace, liberty, 
I volunteered to chair the eighth principal task force because I believe deeply in our principles. They resonate with me because I have spent too much of my life working my way through mazes of systemic racism. So, it is devastating when it shows up here in the community that I love. I know it's hard to hear that racism exists in our church, but if we're honest, we need only to look at the makeup of our congregation to understand that it is here. There's a disturbing trope that's been coming up frequently in our community conversations about the eighth principle that seems to try to explain this away. It says that the reason that the congregation doesn't look like the rest of the community is that Unitarian Universalism's sedate intellectual style just doesn't speak to people of color. I don't know what's worse about this idea the insulting implication that people of color are loud and somehow too intellectually deficient to handle Unitarian Universalism? Or the implied white ownership of the religion, the idea that there is only one way to actualize it, and that way is the white way. attempts to assuage the hurtfulness of the trope by saying that the people of color who are here are high-achieving outliers only adds insult to injury. This has been used time and again to excuse limiting our access to all sorts of institutions, like the librarian in my elementary school who refused to let me check out books that were above my level or the high school senior counselor who helpfully advised me, you know, college is hard, but Montgomery Wards has a great training program for cashiers. This is not new to me. And yet I'm here. And not because I'm an outlier. I'm here because Unitarian Universalism doesn't shrink to accommodate fear or hubris. I'm here because Unitarian Universalism doesn't cow down to tradition or habit. I'm here because it calls us to expand our heart for one another. The grace that Unitarian Universalism offers is expansive enough to hold me, even when my brethren struggle to. The reality is that people of color do bump into racism in our church. And it makes it hard for us to reach the level of vulnerability that's required to connect to a spiritual practice. So many of us leave. And racism doesn't necessarily have to be spoken out loud to be communicated. The consistent absence of multicultural expression and diversity in our church, year 
after year after year is telling us that something, something isn't right. The eighth principle calls out racism specifically because it needs to. Because for far too long, racism has insidiously undermined the other seven principles we covenant to affirm and promote. And it undermines our six sources. It undermines our religion. Adopting the eighth principle will be our congregation's way of committing to shine a bright light at the dim corners within ourselves and our institution where racism likes to hide. My participation in the eighth principle task force is an act of hope. You see, I believe in us. I believe that we can grow together. I believe that UUSF is a community that values the humanity of black people, of indigenous people, of Asian and Pacific Islanders, of Latinas like me, of all people of color, I do. And I believe that UUSF is a place where the work of dismantling racism will be taken to heart because we are seekers. We are the ones who question everything as we search for truth and meaning. I believe that this creative, brilliant, joyful congregation can become a leader in the fight for liberation against systemic racism. We are the San Francisco congregation after all. I mean, Star King is literally here with us. I wanna be part of the effort to build an active, consistent, foundational inclusivity in this church. Because that opening Sunday in 2015, when Max and I came down the aisle and met you, we experienced the difference it makes when a congregation takes the time to learn to expand its song. In April of 2016, the religious education classes came to an end and Max and his cohorts were asked to say what they believed in for their coming of age presentations. After only one year in this church, my son declared, I believe in love. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung through every land by every tongue. May it be so.
recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the over 500 children who are still separated from their families, held in less than transparent or humane circumstances in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia and racism and greed. So we ring our gong seven times for this week of days in which these deeds have been done in our name. We ring our gong additionally once for those losses this week to COVID-19. We hold in our hearts all the losses around the world this morning. Those places especially hard hit in these days. And hold in gratitude all who are working to get the vaccine produced and distributed and administered all around the globe. And today we ring our gong one final time for the people of color here in this congregation and in Unitarian Universalism, people for whom beloved community has fallen short. Those among us who have been made to feel unwelcome, for all who have been harmed by microaggressions or unwitting cultural biases, or those who have borne the brunt of persistent institutional inequity and the sticky habits of white supremacy culture, for the too many beloveds who have left, and for those who stay courageously and generously despite it all. May these stories, known and unknown yet, invite us to collectively do better. May we together move a little closer to the radical invitation of our faith that always exists, this promise of beloved community to which we are constantly called. All this to remember and to hold. May we hold all those we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we each ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
invite you to join me now in a time of shared silence. From this place, I offer you this prayer by Elizabeth Bukey called, A World of Beauty and Love is Coming. Spirit of love, which holds us, we gather in reverence and thanks for you. We are grateful for the gift of another breath and for each moment of connection, beauty, and truth. Cry with us in our pain for our world. Remind us that we are loved just as we are. Remind us that we are connected with all that is Remind us that we do not journey alone. Give us what we need for today. Call us back to our promises, commitments, and values. Help us love ourselves and each other and to show that love in our actions. Make us instruments of justice, equity, and compassion. Free us from all that is evil. We declare that life and love are stronger than tyranny and fear. That a world of beauty and love is coming and we must shape it together. May it be so. Amen. Our offering this morning is for DRUM, diverse, revolutionary, Unitarian Universalist, multicultural ministries. Please give generously and mark your offering, special offering if you give online. All that is given today up to $1,000 will be matched by the Hinckley Fund. Thank you in advance for your generosity. The offering will be both given and gratefully received.
our guest this morning is Paula Cole-Jones. If you don't already know who she is, let me give you a little introduction. Paula Cole-Jones is the founder of Adore, a dialogue on race and ethnicity. She is a former president of DRUM, diverse, revolutionary, Unitarian, Universalist, multicultural ministries. She's an independent consultant who specializes in multicultural competencies and institutional change. She has served in our denomination as Congregational Life Consultant in the Central East region. She is also a lifelong member of All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C. And she is the co-author and one of the leaders of our effort around introducing an eighth principle into Unitarian Universalism. Currently, 46 congregations in our movement, along with the UU Ministry for the Earth and a couple of state action networks have signed on already in support of this principle. Paula Cole-Jones says she expects that by the end of this year, that number will have doubled with so many congregations in discussion who have already set a date for a vote as we have for May or June of this year. Paula Cole-Jones and I talked a couple of times and the last time was a taped conversation of 90 fabulous minutes where we talked about a range of issues and questions around this idea of the eighth principle that's being proposed. The conversation ranged from why in addition to our existing seven principles, why this one now, how it might change our communities, what work it is asking of us individually as Unitarian Universalists to do, what work it is asking us to do in our congregations. We talked about the word accountability and accountable and what that means for us in this work. I have chosen a 20 minute excerpt from the conversation. We'll dive in when we are in the process, the tail end of a conversation around that accountability piece but it loops through theology and our vision for Unitarian Universalism, how we think all of this work will change us. So I welcome you into the middle of a wonderful conversation of a topic we are deep in discussion about. I welcome you into a conversation with Paula Cole-Jones and me. More of it is available online if you wanna to listen to more of where this time took us. Here we go. I guess the other piece I was thinking about around this idea of accountability and kind of, you know, what will a post eighth principle, you know, church look like in part because of the account, how we bring in accountability. And I've been thinking about the fact that one of the things I think that, you know, probably all Unitarian Universalists need to do to some degree is, um, but certainly our white Unitarian Universalists. And this is something that Robin D'Angelo talks about in, in white fragility and is, is to get back to an, our earlier point about sort of we did our justice in the world, but we didn't always think about how it had to happen in accountably among us. Um, is I think we're, you know, we're going to have to let go of the notion of ourselves as the good people. I can I can see where that becomes a barrier to our ability to see ourselves clearly, that we're you know, there is this sense like we are the progressive. Therefore, you know, we might have to learn what more 
progressive work, more and more progressive work looks like in the world and educate ourselves about the issues in the world. But, but that can be this, this um, barrier to seeing the ways in which we participate individually or we have accepted and embody in our worldview or in, our, in the ways we act in the world cultural paradigms that are um, harmful. Does that make sense? Well, as I as I listen to you, I, um, along with the eighth principle, I I propose that we make an identity shift in our congregations uh, from seeing church as a family to seeing church as a community of communities, because I think that learning to uh, respect and nurture the communities within the church and uh, exterior to the church. That's where we will practice beloved community. Um, church as a family is uh, just, a, it's a limitation to who we really are and to our ability to do inclusion unknowingly. I think it limits our ability to do inclusion. And this is a conversation that requires a lot more, more work. Mm. But in, the, in a community of communities, which already exists, we, we learn how to be a part of a community, part of a collective in a different way where our individual selves and needs and preferences are not, mm. are not more important than this work that we are talking about, that we see ourselves as a part of it. And in fact, I'm gonna say something that's quite challenging. The Unitarian Universalist principles are universal to the extent that they help us to see ourselves as part of the multicultural community if our principles don't help us to see ourselves as part of this multicultural world, then they have little relevance in the multicultural context. How does that happen? We have to make that happen. That's the leap that we have to take. And the eighth principle then is a bridge for us to help us to see ourselves as part of this beautiful mosaic or complex human, you know, existence of communities. And certainly we see ourselves there, but that's not the practice. And it's, it's a dominant culture, multicultural shift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in the FODS lecture that you did, which is great, and I um, encourage anyone who hasn't already watched it to, to watch it, you talk about going from this notion of family, this metaphor, and metaphors are, are powerful, right? We in Very religious powerful. life traffic in metaphors, so uh, so we know that. And the idea of, of, of moving from this metaphor of family to this metaphor of a community of communities is useful because families have culture and rules, and everybody learns the rules of the family, and you can challenge them a little, but, um, but what it means to be family is to kind of agree to to be bound by this culture. You know, what Christmas looks like in our house is this, or what Kwanzaa looks like in our house is this. And when we go on vacations, it looks like this. And, you know, this is the way we have fights in our family. And 
and I think what I hear you saying in the in the community of communities is is to recognize that that what it means to be beloved community for us is anybody who wants to be in this religious community and conversation with us who shares our basic uh, faith and philosophical commitments and agrees to be together has to acknowledge that the way you do things or see things, the culture of your small group, even within the congregation, there will be these small groups that, that see the world similarly and probably often gravitate to be together, but to always be aware of the fact that your small group may do things in a way that is not the way that everybody has to do it in order to be welcome, right? That you're, you're constantly asking, how have I centered my way of being? And it isn't that everybody else who does it differently is wrong. You know, it's that they do it differently. And so how, how do we, how do we break open our paradigm, which, which for me feels like it will have many different forms. And one of those big forms, that's going to be the big one for, for our communities, many of our communities to break is, is to realize how often the family norm is whiteness and how often we center whiteness and to see whiteness as a family. And there are many families, right? Or a community that has- This is how we do things, right? Yeah. Right. And, and I think when, as, as someone who's white, growing up in a world that is white-centered, it doesn't occur to you ever that it's white-centered. I mean, unless you have some experience that, that takes you out of, out of your context. So one of the big ways of doing that is, is to begin to ask how much being the, the family of whiteness <laughs> is not the only family, and to look at how other families... Um, I mean, I see that literally in my own family because my husband is Indian and from a particular community in India, and there are many. And so literally I step into his family and it's influenced by a host of different things, Catholicism, you know, uh, the Goan kind of Portuguese influenced heritage and Indian heritage. And so, you know, what I took as the norm of my family, as I think we have, many of us have had this experience to realize that it's, it's, it's not a norm. It's just the way your quirky family <laughs> That's right. But it's much harder to do when it's about whiteness, which is so embedded, which I think is, is what we're asking everybody to, in our communities to start doing and, and which the eighth principle is, ask, is, is asking us to do. Not, not directly, but it's, that's key to the work. Yeah, and the, and the practice. So this takes us back to the theological question <clears throat> that we have a respect for pluralism, Right. Um, and so what about cultural pluralism, right? That pluralism should apply not just to theology uh, or, or a person's religious uh, approach, but to, um, to who we are. So uh, this, is, this is an issue around multi-generationalism, right? There's, mm. a dominant, there's a dominant culture in the church around age. And mm. we act that out. And so for, you know, churches can pay attention to what their age demographic is. And if you don't have a, a lot of young people, I think our churches should be overflowing with young adults because what we consider UU values or theology is everyday life for young people. But does the culture... Fit. Is there a place for young people in Unitarian Universalism culture or, or culturally? 
are we so skewed towards one age group that that younger mm-hmm. people can't find their place? You know, the same thing around racial identity. You know, is the dominant culture. We have to keep in mind families were not really about inclusion. It's very careful selection. Very careful. In a community of communities, that changes, right? So you can you can have a place and support a thriving uh Young, younger community, or thriving communities of people of color, or people with different religious beliefs, or people with different abilities. There, it just opens it so much where that becomes a practice, and not an add-on, or not an mm. exception. It becomes the central practice that that's who we are, that's what we're looking out for. I think in terms of communities also around our interests. You know, there's there are music communities and churches. People come to, I have talked with people who come to churches to be a part of a book group. They were not UUs and 30 years later, they're still there in the church, still a part of the book group, but still there in the church. So this is going on all the time. And what I'm saying is let's make that central to who we are. Let's make that our identity. So I say we, Unitarian Universalists, are a community of communities living our values in the world and working to build the beloved community. That's how I see us or how I want to see us in the future, right? So in that community of communities, what binds us together with all the differences that we would be making room for as part of our practice, I think of in sports, you talk about keeping bent knees a lot of times in basketball and volleyball, because you never know what direction you're going to have to move. And it feels to me like it becomes a culture about living with bent knees, like able to be fluid and move in many different directions. Um, And, you know, not sort of not this idea of staking your place and, you know, putting your stake in the ground as a maybe a another opposite metaphor, but in a, in a place where there's so many different communities that you make space for, what I heard you say is what then unifies us, what weaves through us and holds us together, because that's often a concern with Unitarian Universalism, is what holds us together, are our fundamental values and our shared pursuit of the work of being in beloved and always making and remaking the world into beloved community. Yes, I think so. But also, and and so this is what that might look like in practice, then our ministries become about the the care and nurturing of those communities, right? And and the well-being between the communities. If we can create that, the communities will look out for the well-being of the people who are part of it. And, and these communities are permeable. It's not like they're stagnant. You know, we're not talking about building silos or cliffs or anything like that. We're talking about having places that hold people, right? Where you can be a part of a group um, and, and, and really find that deep sense of connection to Unitarian Universalism and to the people in, in the community and the wider community. So it's, it's a shift from where we have been in the past where individualism kind of goes without question. We don't lose who we are individually, but we begin to center the practice 
of, of supporting communities, our own and communities that are different from our own, right? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or may have different expressions, right? From our own. It's a very different practice. And um, it, if we do this, I think growth is inevitable. I just think it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. Mm-hmm. Our churches will be healthier systems. There'll be so many more ways for people to come in and to find a connection. But then we also will have different relationship with the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, right. And I think for folks who are white, who are used to the culture being defined by them, it, it will be a, a learning curve to realize that there is not one culture and it is not defined as the thing that you are most comfortable with or that it has many elements of the things that thing that you are once you know, most comfortable with. But one of the things that I've heard in our conversations and I really appreciate, I used to, I, I'm a UU Christian and I used to really be bothered. I still am bothered by people who, who are out in the world defining what Christianity is. Christianity is this incredible tradition um, you know, and, and even what gets decided, you know, in the Council of Nicaea is decided by a vote, right? Our, our spiritual ancestors, Origen and Arius, you know, who, who were controversial and heretical in their beliefs, they were just voted off the island, but they were just as Christian, just as grounded in the early foment of, of ideas and, and interpretation of the life of Jesus and the ministry we were called to. And so when people say, this is what it means to be Christian, and if you don't believe that, you're not Christian, I always hate that. I think, well, who gave you the trademark? Show me the papers that God or Jesus gave you with the trademark of what it means to be Christian. Uh, nobody gets that. We, we all own this tradition and get to interpret it. And what I'm hearing also in this conversation around the eighth principle is, is nobody has a trademark on, on what Unitarian Universalism is or what it looks like, right? All of the people who come to us drawn by Unitarian Universalist values and goals as a community or beloved community, which, you know, I agree is, is ultimately what we're all aiming for. They all own this tradition. We all own this tradition together. So it's like to unhook people who felt like they've had an, uh, an, an, an unfair sense of ownership on the tradition because, because it was white centric to begin to realize, no, you've got to unhook. You know, that was a false sense of ownership. That was a false trademark. That didn't actually That's have right. any appropriate stamps of, you know, of official approval. That was just, that was just an assumption you made. And so you're not losing anything except something that you're, you never deserve to have. Yeah. Right. We're creating more right. space. I grew up in a Unitarian Universalist church. We had an uh, African-American senior minister for 23 years. The church was diverse about 50, 50, some say 60, 40. That is my UU experience. Yeah, so it's very different. It's funny when you talked about being voted off the island. I kind of feel that around the vote for the eighth principle. Mm. Just the fact that we have to bring it to a vote. Mm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. We should already be it. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that we're going to vote on it means that, you know, some churches could vote no. What does that mean? Do we get voted off the island, right? Think about that. Well, there again, it's about decentering whiteness, right? To, you know, to think in the course, to always have in mind as a white person, the course of the conversation, 
not just what do I think about this principle and do I understand it? And, you know, do I think it belongs among the principles and all the conversations that we're having? But at each point that we're having that conversation, we're asking those questions. Are we centering our own white experience or are we trying to imagine and center the experience of our BIPOC beloveds, right? Because um, that's part of, the, I think that's part of the, the, the most painful parts of the conversations that, that we're having. It is. And, and while you say that, let's, let's go back and let me, let me say it was the seventh principle that convinced me our principles are inadequate for what it is we're up to. Is the seventh principle, the respect for the interconnected web of life, of existence of which we all are a part. For me, for so many years, that's where this was held. And when we talk about, and when I talk about multicultural, I mean more than multiracial. I'm talking about all of the groups of people who have been marginalized for many different reasons, right? So the seventh principle, for me, my interpretation, the interconnected web of life of which we all are a part. Now I have a science background, environmentalist background. I held that one very dear. But when I started moving around the country, working with congregations and over and over again, I'm hearing an environmental interpretation and maybe that's what the original intent was, I don't know, but through my lens, that's where the multicultural human community was held too, as part of that interconnected web of existence. But over and over and over again, I heard the interpretation is like, we were not on the island, right? Mm. It's like, it was environmental. And I, I say this often, it was a painful realization for me to see that for so many people, that was not where our work around multicultural and, and inclusion, multiculturalism and inclusion resided. And so it's like, it was very clear to me that our principles cannot do the job that we say we want to do because we were not explicit because we can assume that we get it, that we're doing it. It is implied in each of the principles, but it gets interpreted through us individually. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it just, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can hear the arguments that it's right. That's one of the arguments that it's implied in the other principles. Of course, there are two things. One is one of our members said, and I think it's brilliant, is that those principles aren't actually like the boiled down essentials. I thought of them that way, but they're not. And one, one thing that one member pointed out um, is that uh, like it says we're committed to democracy. Why is democracy a boiled down component? It's not, but it's just that in the, in the course of writing them, we thought there were certain things we wanted to make explicit because we didn't want to leave them open to interpretation, right? So we have to rethink, I had to rethink the principles and say like, oh, actually, right. Some of these things are not necessarily boiled down principles. They are and are a stake in the ground and underlining, putting a word in there so nobody could think that benign dictatorship actually does respect the worth and dignity of all people in the interdependent web and, and justice. A benign dictator probably could actually represent the vast majority of those things. But we wanted to make sure no one would interpret it that way. We wanted right. democracy was key to us. So democracy is a word that's in there. The principles, they, they are a, an amalgam of things that periodically we decide actually something else needs to be explicit. It's, I thought it was in there, but not everybody thinks it's in there. And it's so important that we're going to put it in there. Right. And, and de facto, the work of racial equity and 
dismantling white supremacy de facto is not happening is what I, is what I'm, you know, what I'm hearing and what I think is true. And so this conversation is about, okay, well, if it's not happening, then, then it isn't in there explicit enough. And it's too important to not have the work get accelerated. Right. So, and so how do we shine a spotlight on it? We add it in. So when we say them, when people read them, when they come and they ask, but I thought your principles say that you're committed to beloved community and, you know, this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion and dismantling supremacy, like they will hold us accountable. The new members, right? It's all explicitly in there. The way and we'll we, hold ourselves and we'll democracy. hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. Right. And we'll hold ourselves accountable. Right. But there are enough of us in Unitarian Universalism who can see, you know, where we're replicating the old historic norms, cultural norms um, that actually form, you know, become barriers to people mm-hmm. being able to, to have a sense of, of presence and belonging. Well, thank you for your imagination, a religious imagination about who we might be together. And thank you, you know, for helping to ask us to be accountable to a larger imagination. Yeah. yeah. It's always thank been you. how we move forward, but it's, it's, you know, I want to thank you for being a person who's part of that work right now. So we are certainly having very rich, very complicated, sometimes hard conversations just in talking about what it would mean to vote yes for the eighth principle. And those conversations don't feel like they're just about the eighth principle, right? They're about exactly beginning to unpack this work and it's clearly going to be generative. It is generative already. So. Yeah. This is our unfinished business. Mm. Thank you very much. (laughs) This is our verb. I want to thank you for your your um, your wisdom and your leadership and and uh, your your um, embrace of the complexity of the human experience and church life and this whole process of our our spiritual maturation. So, thank you very much. And now I invite you to join in singing together our closing hymn, hymn number 1017, Building a New Way. The words and music are in your order of service.
And now, may the light of love, the fullest love we can imagine, shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.